Michael Vincent the Dude. What's up, man? Uh, hey, everybody. Good Monday afternoon from a gray and rain expecting freight alley. My friend, did you see uh, Ida blowing up this weekend, my friend? Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of strong images coming out of there. Awful storm really took out this grid over yeah. in, in that area. Close to a million people without power. I think the number is over 850,000 right now. I saw roofs ripped off hospital. Uh, I saw a barge get knocked off their moorings. We saw a house collapse. We yeah. saw uh, a tree lift up grass. Get over to that one. Keep moving through these. We got a tree lift up. Look there at that go. right there. We got the yep. tree lifting up grass. We got carpet. Terrible right yeah. there. Yeah. Awful scene. We also are sad to report the first storm-related death was reported late Sunday in Ascension Parish after authorities say a tree fell on a home. No. Hurricane Ida knocked out power, as we mentioned, to all of New Orleans. There's a ton of impacts, and we're going to get into those in just a minute. Let's set the table for the show. Today, though, on the show, we got Business Insider senior reporter Emma Crossgrove. She's talking about freight going mainstream. We got Ryan Rogers in studio. He's going to come by and tell us about the superpower of check calls with Text Locate, Battle Act Sports founder Ashley Nicole Cole. And John Piper is on the road for the Arkansas Trucking Association. He's taking some footage for us, and we'll find out what that's all about. First, we got to tip the band before we jump over to our CEO and founder, Craig Fuller. Autonomous trucks are coming with a huge potential windfall if you're ready to seize it. Start re-engineering your supply chain for autonomy today. Contact Locomation at Tell'em, dude. Hey, go to locomation.ai for turnkey solutions immediately after this show. All right, let's go over to FreightWave CEO and founder, Craig Fuller, and also the new owner of Flying Magazine, who has flown himself to New York. And he's joining us now via phone call. Craig, thanks for coming on the line with us. Hey guys, yeah. You know, you know, a storm is coming when our internal slack starts starts blowing up. All of your experience with FEMA and dealing with freight puts you in a great position to address this. So, tell us a little bit about what's going on in the aftermath of this Category Four hurricane. It's now a tropical storm, but it's left a lot of damage in its wake. Yeah, I mean, hurricanes are are something that I, I've been involved in, or indirectly or directly. And I, again, I'm not today involved in any of the relief efforts. That's really the drivers that are are you know, the heroes that are out there uh, delivering goods and products to, to people that need them. But I got involved in hurricanes back uh, in 2003 when we took over a uh, contract from a very large uh, logistics company that was managing FEMA disaster relief. And, uh, you know, we got to experience firsthand what that's like in terms of managing an on-site relief project uh, and being involved in hurricane relief. And so this is really the stage uh, in the hurricane where uh, at least the portion that's near the coast is already past the hurricanes moving up the coast. Uh, they're still going to wait before they bring a lot of those recovery products and relief products into the area. Uh, but in the next day or so, we'll see a lot of trucks shift into uh, southern Louisiana uh, to deliver products. And that's what I, what, what I'm looking at right now is uh, how much damage has been done is going to correlate with how much relief product is ordered uh, and is shipped down there. You know, those hurricane relief loads, they, they, they pay pretty well, right? So is there a danger of uh, carriers chasing FEMA loads? And what will that maybe do to capacity here? Well, I think, look, you, you have to consider, you know, we don't know yet how much freight is going to be ordered or how many bottles of water are going to be shipped. Um, we just don't have a, an assessment of the damage. You know, we know this is a very, very, very powerful hurricane. But the thing about hurricanes is that the power of it is only one aspect of how much damage it does. It also depends on where the hurricane hits. And um, looking at the pictures, hearing about the damage, New Orleans was certainly under a lot of stress, but they have uh, really built up their infrastructure to withstand uh, these types of events over the last 15 years. So I suspect this will not be a Katrina-level event just in terms of the kind of relief uh, effort that's required, uh, simply because I think New Orleans uh, is much better prepared this time around than they were last time. So once we have an assessment for how much uh, damage is there, uh, then we'll have an idea on how uh, how much freight is being shipped, and that will tell us 
how much capacity is going to be taken away from other uh, types of shippers. Um, and so if you think back to Katrina, we were talking hundreds of thousands of truckloads of bottled water and MREs and, um, you know, medical supplies. Uh, it was a very significant event. It, it remains to be seen whether we'll see that level of event or something uh, less so. My suspicion is based on the early reports uh, that New Orleans held pretty well. And what caused a lot of the damage during Katrina was the flooding. You know, when the levees broke, that's really what um, uh, created a lot of the uh, sort of knock-on effects. And so I, I, I think it will, will be an issue. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that truckload, trucking companies have gone through the past year and committed a lot of capacity uh, on consistent scheduled volumes, uh, and their shippers will be expecting them to to honor those commitments, even in light of the hurricane. And some of those commitments go to companies that are going to be dependent upon capacity during the hurricane. And so they won't be, even though they will certainly support helping people out, they will view it as contrary to their long-term interest if that capacity is taken away and put it on the FEMA project. So I think what we'll see is the small owner operator community uh, will be the prime, primary beneficiaries of high spot rates. So how are carriers selected for this by FEMA? And there can't be an infinite amount of money. So how is how is that allocated as well? Uh, well, it's, you know, ultimately FEMA has a set of contractors that they use. And those contractors are contracted as FEMA, FEMA providers. And then those contractors then go out and source transportation capacity. And what they found over the last couple of years is that freight brokerages are far more dependable to provide consistent capacity than say an asset-based carrier back in 2004 when we were doing it 2003 when we were doing it at us express we were we were never directly contracted with fema uh, we were going through a third-party uh, water supplier uh, as well as the states and and uh, a very large logistics company uh, but what i think happened now is that that the issue was that we couldn't keep up with the demand and no single carrier could and so i think what the providers and contractors have learned is that they want to have a series of freight brokerages that can serve the demand. It's because it is such a massive product. So ultimately, that will be who the, the freight goes to are freight brokerages that can provide supplemental capacity. They will be the contractors of record and they will be responsible for paying the drivers. So we've seen some uh, immediate impacts on the Atlanta and New Orleans lane. We have a screenshot of this. If you guys can throw that up as well. Rejection rates up a little bit, rates up a little bit. Do we expect that to extend beyond this region or because, I mean, there's a lot of damage, a lot of power out, but it, like you said, it didn't have the flooding of a Katrina. So w w do, you, do you see this lasting and persisting? You know, hurricanes happen every, ha ha at least for the last couple of years, have happened every year. We see them. Um, there's, you know, there is sort of a fact of life uh, in in the South that you're going to have hurricanes. It is going to have an impact short term. Um, I, again, without knowing how significant the damage is, it doesn't appear that, like you said, we're, we're seeing a Katrina level event. So I don't think this is going to something that reverberates for 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 weeks or, or, or months. And so I think what we'll see is the next week or so. Uh, it will be far more difficult to get capacity out of the South simply because that capacity will be soaked up by alternative uh, forms. And, and the other thing to keep in mind is it isn't a one-to-one -one relationship. In other words, in a, in a normal environment, someone loads a truck, they go and deliver that truck and it's offloaded, and that truck's then available for dispatch. In these hurricane reliefs, what happens is that you'll load the truck up, it will go into the release site, and it may sit there for a week. So that that truck is then out of commission for a week or two and is not available. So the longer it takes to get relief suppliers and the less organized the effort is uh, will really dictate on how much capacity is taken out of the market. So if we, if we think, you know, a decent size, I would suspect this is going to be a decent size uh, logistics operation, probably in the order of 50,000 to 100,000 truckloads. Um, is probably, you know, 50,000 is probably more realistic. If, if we're talking about that type of event, you could sort of multiply that times three to four in terms of the amount of capacity that's out of the market uh, because of these trucks will be off commission for, for an entire week. Then you could expect that we would see, a, you know, a five to eight percent reduction in available capacity for dispatch. That's a, 
that's a that's a pretty significant impact short term, but long term it's not gonna it's not gonna make a big difference. Um, depending, and that also depends on how much damage was done uh, by the hurricane. If there was a lot of flooding and a lot of damage, and there has to be a lot of reconstruction, then it could go on for months beyond. Craig, thank you for your insights today on What the Truck. We appreciate you joining us. Have a great time over in New York. Um, Michael Vincent, you know, a lot, yeah. going on, a lot going wrong in supply chain at the same time. So, um, you know, bad storm. You never want to hear, you know, someone, someone died. You don't want to hear yeah, about no, these power outages and everything. But thankfully, you know, this happened 16 years to the date that Katrina happened. Yes. Craig referenced it many times. We're, we're glad we didn't see something like that. But the bad news is hurricane season has just begun. Yeah, it has. So hopefully we won't see uh, many more Cat 4s, right? Yeah. We have a little information, too, uh, on just some shutdowns that you guys might want to know about. Kansas City Southern has suspended operations at interchanges. Um, loves travel stops in the area. A number of them have closed down, as have Pilot Flying Jays and Travel Centers of America. So be sure to check before you head out that way. I'm sure yeah. not many of you, unless you're pulling relief freight or driving into that location right now anyway. Now we're going to move over, though. Speaking of locations, we That's have... Right. The Silver Fox, Ryan Rogers. He's the founder of Text Locate, and he's sitting on a chair right next to us. What is up, you young, handsome man? Hey, thanks for having <laughs> me. Really appreciate it. And thanks for the compliment. Well, of course. <laughs> right, we always love having you by. And I think that one of the last times I actually got to sit next to you was maybe, geez, Transparency 19, way back in Atlanta. In the, yeah, in the booth or maybe in Chicago. I, can't, I know maybe we did the booth in, in Atlanta, but uh, Chicago, that's been a while, hasn't it? It's all a blur, but wow. for you, those are since, so Ryan hasn't been on a little while, so if you're not familiar, he's had roles with U.S. Express, Amazon, most recently Covenant before, oh, he's got a clothing line as well, but before he decided to found Text Locate this year, and he's doing it in Chattanooga. Tell us about the company. Yeah, thanks. Um, it actually is something kind of all the pieces of what I've done in the past on the logistics side kind of uh, put together, and we created an idea. Text Locate is really about visibility. Um, it's a simple visibility tool using text messaging. So it's a little bit more unique. We're not out um, trying to displace the current uh, visibility providers. We're actually a complementary product that enhances other people's visibility tools. So we're, we're making a product that's super easy, super simple for a driver. It's an easy um, you know, send a text message with the driver being able to click a button on the link and return the location. And the accuracy of it is um, really quite phenomenal. Yeah, it's tremendous stuff, Ryan, and, and and welcome, by the way, and good afternoon to you. Last time we spoke, you were just just getting started with this stuff and having it out there. So, can you talk to us a little bit about about uh, you know how does it how does it actually work? Is this an invasion of privacy? Not what's going on? Yeah, it's really not. It's actually the drivers have found it. The response we're getting is really good. The drivers have found it super easy, super simple to use. And what the difference is with our product is that. It's similar to a phone call that the driver has to give their information back. So the driver's in control, they like it, it's less invasive, so they actually click the link and then hit allow. So we never track uh, the driver constantly or anything like that. The driver has to give one-time message, um, messages back. Now what's nice is that the um, individual using the platform or we have an API connection with the system can ping those messages out. So you can do scheduled messages, you can do follow-ups, and the driver again likes it because it's not evasive. Um, it's not a privacy issue. You just click the link and give the location back. So it'd be very similar to a phone call and somebody say, where are you? And Hey, I'm currently in Freight Alley, you know, yeah. but the difference here is you get the lat long response uh, immediately and, and quickly. And yeah, since the last time we got here, thanks for having me on again. It's, um, it's been about, we launched about seven to eight weeks ago, kind of at the, right after July 4th, and it's been really good. Today, we've been able to grow our customer base um, quite rapidly, uh, really in the past seven or eight weeks. We're getting new customers coming on every day. You can self-sign up self-enroll. We have customers that range from, we're empowering $6 million brokerages as a, a sole visibility tool, even up to over a billion dollar uh, vis brokers and logistics providers that are using the tool in complementary with the other products as well. So Ryan, you're the founder. What was your like, aha uh -huh moment? So I don't know, you're over at Covenant and you're like, man, you know what? I got to make my own company. I got this great idea. What was your, what was your why? Um, well, originally, it started, I've had this entrepreneurial spirit. My dad was an entrepreneur, had his own business. So I've had this spirit for a long time. And I've had some, like I mentioned, you mentioned, there's the, the clothing brand. I've had some other startups and things I've done. But at this point in time in my career, I'm 45 and I'm like, hey, let's give it a shot. Now's the time to go for it. 
And the product itself just kind of, it came about from frustrations and struggles with a tool and, and, and I saw our team just struggling with phone calls all the time and it was me and I have a couple of partners that are developers and we kind of put the pieces together and said, we have an idea and we put something together that honestly wasn't very pretty, didn't look, function very well, but it got, it started and kind of sparked and from there we were like, we're on to something, we've, we've got something we can connect the dots and put all the pieces together to create a proprietary workflow that's super simple and super easy it's just one of those things that just kind of came about, honestly. And but when I tested it and you know really talked to other people and said, "Hey, what do you think about this product? What would, would it make sense?" They were all like, "This is simple, easy, and effective for both the driver and the user, along with system application as well." That's that's a that's a great story, Ryan. And at 45, you're you're a young pup in this business, <laughs> um, as as we like to say, a young silver-haired uh, fox in this business. But so talk to me about check calls before. What does this do? How, do? how does this improve things? How does it help those making those check calls and getting those check calls? So, so typically in a check call process is, you know, if you're using another product, like let's say Project 44, that has constant tracking, so that's eliminating the need. But if there's a driver that's having problems with the app or frustrated with it or doesn't want a particular use somebody's, another person's app, that's where you have to make a check call. So you're doing things, you may have other conversations you're having to have with the driver about pickup and delivery and um, all those kind of things, but a large majority of your check calls are just can I get the current location. So instead of having to pick up the phone and ask for that current location, our tool is super simple where that uh, either the system can connect via API or the individual can key in into our system the phone number, um, the driver's uh, the driver's name, first name, last name, and the location or the load ID fires a quick little button. So it's a way to digitize that process. And from my transformation events at at Covenant, this is a simple digital tool that you can key all these up. So you're booking freight and making margin and you're covering, dealing with proactive situations with carriers or with new freight, with customers. You can kind of key all these digital digitally into the system and click a button and let it do the work for you. You can also schedule them in the future so you're not making phone calls the whole time. And the intent is to try to get three or four responses, let's say out of 10, and then grow from there. What we're seeing right now is that our response rate is between 54 and 77% with customers. So drivers are really starting to catch hold um, to how simple and effective um, that the product is. Why Chattanooga? What are some of the advantages of, of starting a company like this year? Well, obviously, um, I think we're one of the, aside from freight raves, one of the original kind of logistics, one of the few that started, you know, kind of grew up here. I'm from Chattanooga. My whole career has been basically in Chattanooga from starting at U.S. Express when I was 20. Uh, three years old coming out of my MBA um, school at UTC to being here between US Express and Covenant and then working remote here with Amazon is that Chattanooga is just a great place to start a business. We're in Freight Alley. It makes sense with the logistics side. Obviously, we all talk about the bandwidth and um, internet capabilities that EPB offer. Um, but being able, you know, how convenient was it? I got up this morning and was able to come in person here, have this, and a lot of connections here. Everybody's super helpful. They want companies to be successful. Um, so I think Chattanooga was obviously super easy, no-brainer. Now we have remote individuals that work throughout the country, we, and we have total flexibility with a project where we can work. But just Chattanooga's home and, again, Freight Alley. Yeah, so, uh, and I agree with you. It's a great place for, for a startup. And it's, I've lived around the country, and I, I just love it here. But uh, don't tell too many people or we'll get all those other people moving here, right? So <laughs> keep it a little bit of a secret. But we talk about this product, we've talked about it many times before, and it's got a bunch of different uses, but uh, beyond, beyond check calls, what are you looking at? So it's a great question. Um, I really appreciate you bringing that up because we found um, a whole lot of effective ways to use it. One is um, before you actually book the freight. So before pre-book, you can actually use the tool to send a text message out um, to verify that somebody's within location. So you, let's say you have a pickup in three hours and you're like, hey, let, let me just send you a text locate to verify your location because the driver's saying, yes, there's no problem. You find out that with the location kind of configured with Google Maps that they're four or five hours out. You still, that may be your best truck and your best option. Now you know information, you'll be able to contact uh, the shipper and maybe adjust windows, or if they're closing at a certain time, you'll be able to know kind of how to work with that. Um, what's really nice is if you're trying to book team power, 
you can actually use our product to send two text messages to the two drivers to make sure you're ensuring that you're getting team transit, not a solo power. Um, it's easy with the digital capability uh, to determine detention because you can actually, your driver could click the link, um, your partner carrier clicks the link for the arrival and departure, so you've got time, date, stamp. Um, there, there as well. And people are using it all different ways, like shippers are using it to verify how close the, the truck is. If somebody's giving them indications that, hey, my driver's an hour out, great, send us their phone number and we'll text locate them real quick so that we can identify. So if we keep our staff um, in overtime or staying over that night and make sure they can unload it versus somebody that might be three or four hours away. Um, so those are some of the use cases that we're, we're finding in every day when we put it in the hands of really powerful brokers out there. They're coming up with all different use cases. Um, new ones pop up every few weeks. I'm sure you've heard from uh, uh, Doubting Thomas or two, you know, there's already visibility tools. There's already big players in there. There's a lot of money in that space. How, Ryan, how are you? How's a silver fox going to compete in that space? So I, it's a great question because I think people would think a small company, a small startup like myself, why in the world would you get into the visibility space when, to your point, there's a lot of money flow and there's really great providers. And our entry into this is that we're trying to uh, tackle the space at the seat level and work our way up through the organization uh, versus just a complete app. So our goal is to make it super easy, super simple. And the apps are continuing to grow and I, I feel like they will. And some people say, hey, are you concerned the apps to take over your market? I don't feel that way. And the reason being is because as the apps grow, if you have apps that are at 85, 90%, 95, that last, last few percent is a phenomenally large space. When you put together all the large brokers across the country and the small brokers and the market size that we have, we make tens of millions of check calls a day. So our product works complementary with their products um, so that we're able to um, you know, have extra added benefit in a very simple, non-intrusive way. Yeah, so uh, Ryan, what's the process for becoming a user of it? So the process to become the user, this is my favorite part. It's super simple. You just go to our website, textlocate.com. You can sign up for a, a free account, and that's free all the time. It doesn't require a credit card. You just put it in, put in your information, and it allows you for three users. So you can set up a small team, 20 pings um, to start out with for a month. You get set up. You try the tool out. And what's nice is you go into settings, and you easily level up. You can go up to our, we've got three different package plans there. Um, between our team account, professional and enterprise level, and you're able to onboard. So you can set this product up, no joke, in literally five minutes getting up and running. And what's really nice too, though, if you're a larger organization, you can get the platform off the ground immediately for your teams. And then additionally, we have API access that's already built in that you can integrate with your system as well so that you can um, use it in both methods. Now, Ryan, you, before we let you go, you also have an apparel brand. Do you have any, like, man-sized yoga pants or, or rompers? Or, or what are you selling over there in your <laughs> yeah, tour? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, I don't have any rompers yet. You know, that could be on the list in the future. But, yeah, I, I started a, a little clothing brand here in town. Um, I got the nickname, obviously. I, I threw out the 45 so you guys would know I was younger than my hair here. And, uh, <laughs> um, but I started, I got the, my trucker handle, a, a gentleman, Jim Thurman, called me that at the, uh, got to give a little, him a little shout out, called me that at the office and I, when I was like 30 something. And I was like, I'm not going to let get these guys make fun of me. So I started with a, a vanity plate and then created a logo and then decided to get in the apparel side. So it's shirts like this. It's uh, bamboo moisture wicking. Um, our website, silverfox.style. Thanks for the little shout out there. Like, well, mm -hmm. hey, look, I like that you took the Silver Fox back. They tried to use it against you, and you said, no, no, no. that's my bullet, and <laughs> this is my gun. And I'll <laughs> right at you. Hey, Ryan, thank you so much for coming down to the studio. Now that day, you know, as Text Locate grows, be sure to come by and tell us uh, the development and user feedback and all that kind of stuff. We look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, Ryan. Hey, joining us now. So if you've been following Twitter or social media or the news, you're hearing more. Like, even the morning brew today was talking about the number of ships in port and LA. Yeah. Freight yeah. is going mainstream. We want to keep it mainstream. And it's a little easier now because there's a big shipping crisis. So it's, it's impacting everyone. I even got an email from my kid's school, Michael Vincent, over the weekend. Oh, really? About the school menus. The, the, it says supply chain issues. People buying goods, retailers, people buying retail goods are hearing about it as they get proactive messages from sellers telling them, hey, 
prepare for delays. Yeah, supply chain absolutely. Issues coming. You know, you know the saga of my couch and all that stuff. Oh, well, yeah. Emma Cosgrove's with us today. She's senior reporter at Business Insider, and she comes at us with a very unique perspective because she came from a little bit more of the trade side at Supply Chain Dive, and she's had to uh, adjust it to the to a wider audience at Business Insider to help bring this information to people to understand it. I applaud it. She's a flag bearer of the Make Freight mainstream movement, and she's here with us right now. Emma, thank you for joining us. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Didn't know I was a flag bearer. Exciting. Well, I, well now I'm calling you when you're officially are. By the way, I like your room and the blue there. It like really matches the blue behind me. So we got a lot of synergy going on here. Oh yeah, it looks like I she's came here into almost. The studio today. This is my third time in our Manhattan office ever, and it's all for you. Now I got to ask you something before we get started. So this is kind of a litmus test of your personality. So you are a George Washington <laughs> University alumni. Go Colonials. Yeah. So I've got it, and you've covered everything from food to agriculture, technology, and supply chain, but. I got to ask you, which alumnus are you closest to? You have Alec Baldwin, L. Ron Hubbard, and Kellyanne Conway. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> none of the above? <laughs> you will be the well, That's a tough crowd. <laughs> yeah, I think the students at GW are also in the process of trying to get rid of the mascot colonials, so there's a lot going on. Yeah, I'm a colonist. Right <laughs> we are going to take your land. Yeah, we got some work to do. We got some work to do. So, you know, supply chain right now, I mean, you've noticed, I'm sure your articles are getting even more hits. Supply chain is a dumpster fire. Tell us a little bit about your coverage at Business Insider. Let's start there. Yeah, sure. So um, at Supply Chain Dive, I did sort of focus on the, the whole picture, freight logistics, operations, and procurement even. So like all the way upstream. At Business Insider, I'm more focused on uh, the sort of closer to the consumer, the more I write. So there's a lot of last mile action going on right now, just as there's crazy problems with trucking capacity right now. There's also not enough capacity in parcel logistics. There's not enough delivery capacity. The gig economy is surging to fill that hole. And um, I'm fascinated by that whole universe because uh, that's what I think most people can connect with when it comes to supply chain. And it's sort of a gateway to heading upstream. Um, so I focus a lot of my attention there and there's a ton of innovation in that area right now, um, which makes my job super exciting. Um, every day. And also to do with trucking capacity, guys, do you mind if I just plug, because Craig gave some great information about the hurricane and I just wanted to plug sure. Alan real quick, which I know yeah. he's done on Twitter. The American Logistics Aid Network is amazing. And if you haven't reached out to them yet, it's time because as you guys said, this will not be our last storm this year. No, it will not be. So uh, Emma, thank you for being on the show. We had some discussion about this prior to the show here, but this is a very interesting question to me now as, as I was educated a little bit before we came on air. What are the biggest differences uh, between writing for Business Insider, which you do now, and the audience there versus supply chain dives where you're, you're, you're more uh, of, a, of a trade publication? Yeah, absolutely. It, it has been quite a learning curve. Um, the, the biggest difference is the language I use. I try not to um, dumb it down for lack of better better terminology, but I, I get into the weeds using language that anyone could mm -hmm. use. So like, we don't say drayage, we explain what drayage is. You know, we don't we, actually, I try to avoid the word parcel, even though it's really hard, because that's sort of an industry word too. Like I'll use the word package. Sure. Um, there's just a lot of descriptive language that goes into my stories. I try not to let that really affect my story selection because, um, you know, e-commerce logistics and retail lives and dies by supply chain these days. And I think that the broader business community is interested in that. So the more nuance I can bring to it, the better that understanding can spread. It's just a matter of um, the words you use and then also trying to connect the concepts that might be a little more in the weeds with companies that people can recognize. Um, so we might uh, put in our headlines like Amazon supplier instead of Zebra Technologies, that kind of thing. Whereas Supply Chain Dive, everybody knows who Zebra is. Um, so it's really changing the words you use more than than what you cover. Yeah, Emma, I got to agree with you. So I, you know, I worked in this business for years sure. on the operations and sales side before getting into the media side. And I made a pretty clear decision when I decided to get in podcasting, which was a lot of the podcasts that were out, they were like webinars. They were way too technical. And I was trying to think back about 2005 when I first got to FedEx Trade Networks. And I knew nothing. I didn't even know what a broker was or, mm -hmm. or how supply chain worked. And I always try to speak a little bit to that person and, and speak broadly because we all know a little bit about supply chain, especially people who might follow something like this. But many of us aren't experts. Plus, you know, it's a, it's a podcast. You know, I don't want you to, to write down with that. Do, do you find it challenging, though, to sort of, like you mentioned dumbing it down. And sometimes I notice that freight journalists, maybe they're a little self-conscious about, about that. Like they want to be perceived in the terminology and the jargon and be taken seriously and all of that kind of stuff. Where to a regular audience, you, you just want them to understand, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, I did a lot of that writing when I was at Supply Chain Dive, too, because we did want to 
speak, industry speak, that was the point. It's sometimes more expedient. It's almost like a shorthand for a problem like ISO 2020, ISO, I don't remember, <laughs> ISM 2020, what was it? God, I've totally forgot because I haven't covered ocean in ages. But anyway, there are shortcuts to issues when you're covering for an industry audience. For a layman's audience, you just can't use any of those shortcuts. Um, and that's pretty much it. The The amazing thing is that there's so much interest right now in how this stuff gets better, um, especially when it comes to e-commerce. If you cover Target, you can't not cover their supply chain. They have a really unique system for getting parcels and packages and online orders to consumers. So I think a lot of retail reporters right now are, are learning supply chain. And the fact that I had that basis at a trade publication has made it so much easier for me to cover these companies through that lens. So Emma, as you, as you go through this, and you've made that transition now to business insiders and, and worrying about the words that you're using, et cetera. What are some of those issues that you find that the, uh, the general reader who's now interested now because of what's going on, what do they not understand? What do you find yourself most explaining over and over? Um, the thing I find myself explaining is what, like defining speed. So what are the elements of last mile speed, delivery speed? Um, it's not intuitive. I think most people like when, especially when I'm in New York city, we hear a lot about like ultra fast delivery, like 10 minute deliveries even. And, um, when you hear a 10 minute delivery, I think your first instinct is like, oh, they found a way to get through traffic or something, but roads still have speed limits, you know, mm. physics still apply. So mm -hmm. the elements of a speedier grocery delivery or a speedier, you know, a two day, uh, e-commerce experience versus a six day, the difference between those and what kind of um, inventory placement and warehousing and transport goes into that um, is something I spend a lot of time explaining. Um, and I think that's good because there is a ton of technology and organization and labor that goes into that speed. And I think the more we understand it, the better consumers we can be in making conscious choices about what kinds of speed we like and what kinds of speed we don't because there are compromises all over the place. Yeah, Emma, what's been fascinating me um, most recently is the disparity that's growing between the leverage that the very large shippers have versus a lot of these direct-to-consumer brands that were doing pretty well, especially at the start of the pandemic. But as parcel fees, as ocean fees, as trucking fees grow up, they're seeing those margins erode and erode. What kind of developments are you seeing in that space? Yeah, um, I don't know that I'm seeing any help upstream with um, sourcing ocean, <laughs> ocean rail or truck. Honestly, um, there's a lot of aggregation work going on in the parcel part of it. So that's sort of middle to last mile. Um, there are a lot of companies that uh, like the warehousing startups that you see that uh, raise venture capital, which was not traditionally a target for venture capital fundraising. Um, venture capitalists don't like physical buildings, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're assets, they're expensive. They, they don't really get that 10 X return that venture capitalists are looking for. But when what they're doing is aggregating thousands, millions of small e-commerce businesses, then all of a sudden you're creating sort of Walmart level, uh, power in the marketplace by aggregating all these small shippers. So there are a lot of startups doing that. That's really interesting. There's also um, a little bit of energy going into sortation right now, which is something I was I mentioned Target before. That's something that they do. Um, sortation is something that traditionally has been resigned to uh, the Postal Service or UPS or FedEx, where um, people just inject their packages and then they need to be sorted to get to the, their final route. Amazon started doing that themselves in about 2016. Target is now getting started doing that now. And there are startups as well that are trying to provide that service for small shippers. So there's a lot of aggregation going on and that's really exciting because it could take, it could shift some of the power in the last mile. I can't say I'm seeing that upstream. Yeah. So Emma, you brought up a lot of really, really interesting points of, uh, and very interesting things that are going on in the developments in tech space. And like you said, aggregation and startups, et cetera, in the retail space. What are those that you're kind of rooting for? What are those trends that you like? I, I, I have my favorites, but I don't want to taint yours. What, what are your favorites? Yeah, I don't like to say I'm rooting for anyone. <laughs> I, I think that the a big misconception about journalism is that if you read an article I've written, you know what I think, and yeah. uh, you don't. <laughs> but, I, I, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I am very excited to see the what I just mentioned and anything new in terms of last mile delivery, um, labor. Uh, labor's sort of a blanket term, but um, I will name one startup that I wrote about uh, two weeks ago, which was called the Front Door Collective. 
And they are a group of more than 100 Amazon delivery service partners. Um, they're, so their contract logistics business is essentially small ones, less than 100 people. And they also deliver for FedEx and XPO and anybody with contract labor these companies can work for. They've come together to create a franchise logistics network that is national coverage. And that is what's really exciting to me is anyone who can provide a national alternative to UPS and FedEx. And obviously a brand new company is not going to have nearly the scale of UPS or FedEx, but we, <laughs> I'm not a shipper. <laughs> E-commerce needs alternatives. And we have, we have some, we have regional carriers, we have the gig economy. And I think we just need a lot more creativity in that space one, to turn the heat up on traditional players and see what they're willing to do to keep this business, because e-commerce is not an easy business to make money in for mm -hmm. anyone. Mm -hmm. um, but also just to serve, you know, the customers that have trouble getting attention. And there are a lot of them. Millions. Which story that you've covered so far has uh, has either been the most rewarding or gotten the greatest response or maybe even surprised you? Surprised me the most. Um, the one that surprised me the most was one I wrote months ago, um, which was about how the furniture supply chain fell apart. Um, it wasn't like investigative reporting. It was just me talking to as many folks in furniture, um, and e-commerce as I possibly could to understand where all those breakdowns were. Um, the furniture supply chain, if you've tried to order anything is still not up and running. Um, there are huge issues, uh, to do with really simple, stupid things. This is my favorite things about supply chain is that a lot of the problems are really stupid. Like you can't fit as many couches in a shipping container as you can iPads. And so like you just need more containers of couches to service more orders. It seems obvious, but uh, it yeah. was a very well received article in that I think it answered a lot of questions for people. And it did that um, <laughs> thing we've been talking about, which is like, it's a it's a story that serves supply chain audiences and, and nerds like yourselves and, and me, but it also was the story that you'd send maybe to your partner or your marketing department or someone who might not have that background knowledge who could also just get all the way through it. And that article, um, it just, it's still true. You know, yeah, <laughs> I wrote it like still true. six months ago <laughs> and it's still true. Every well, bit of it. <laughs> in a way, it's a testament to how well supply chains are run, how efficient supply chains were run until we entered this pandemic that you don't hear about them because the consumer usually doesn't care or want mm -hmm. to hear about them. And, you know, younger people, they're starting to get into sustainability, sourcing and those yeah. kind of things, which are gateway drugs to supply chain. Michael sure they are. Yes, they Another are. gateway yes, drug is your, your couch being late, as she just mentioned. Well, and then you, if you research it and try and find it out. But yeah, you're right, because in operations, the best compliment is when the phone never rings. Yeah. That's hey, it. We, we wanted to shine a light on something really quick, too, because I saw something in your background that that uh, looked like a really noble cause. What is WellFed? Oh, yeah. Well, WellFed is a, an organization that I started with my sister who works in nonprofits. And um, we just noticed that uh, nonprofits were ordering a whole lot of pizza for kids. And I worked uh, in the grocery industry at the time. And so my thought was that um, sort of leveraging supply chain principles, let's get some scale going. <laughs> let's... Um, just help nonprofits who just don't have the bandwidth to figure out how to get their kids healthier food. Um, the lend basically lend them the bandwidth to do that. And we did a big project with the Girl Scouts of Greater New York, and we still uh, do some consulting in that area. Can you today. surprise us with something from the food industry? You've covered it pretty well. Is there something the general public like doesn't typically know that maybe they should? Yeah. Actually, absolutely. Oh, wow. Great, um, great I wrote question. A story for another publication <laughs> a few weeks ago. I think the concept of promotions is not well understood by um, general consumers. And, and you know, when something goes on sale, uh, it's usually the vendor who takes that hit. Um, and I think that uh, folks are always looking for that price is such a motivator in the marketplace. And Consumers are not good. And I, I mean, I wasn't until I studied this stuff either at connecting price and everything that has to go into it to, to make that price possible. So when um, I was covering grocery, when Amazon bought Whole Foods and Prime members uh, got an extra discount on everything. And I just wrote a story that was saying that the all the vendors got notified that they were going to be paying for that extra 10 percent. Sure. Um, and so like. I don't Here's a discount on you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think that Amazon's taking that hit, right? You think that Whole Foods is getting less margin on that product and that they've done the math to do that. That's not it. They just pass it right back. Yeah. So, um, and that happens all over the place. Promotions are incredibly expensive for even the small brands in your grocery store that go on sale. Um, and <laughs> the thing that that magnifies is that 
it's really easy to lose your entire margin in the retail business. And I think that that's happening a lot right now, especially with e-commerce, because you've got the cost of goods is higher than normal. Freight is higher than normal. Logistics has surcharges on it for, for e-commerce orders. And, uh, we're, when the when the earnings come out in January and February for this Q4, it'll be fascinating to see who g- kept it together, honestly, because it's not surprising when people just lose half their margin on these orders. Well, Emma, you're new to the show, so we got to send you to oh, the yeah, wheel of we stupid questions. Let's see if you can hold it together oh, now. Oh, question. Oh, it was George, my friend. Okay. You mentioned iPads being in there, and now you're a reporter, so this is a good one. Would you rather never be able to use a smartphone or tablet again or a laptop? So you got to give away those mobile devices or you got to give away the laptop. What would impact you? Oh, smartphone. I would, yeah. yeah. Please give me a reason to do that. Yeah. Well, yeah. you want to get rid of the smartphone, you'll keep the laptop. Yeah. <laughs> My first job ever was um, as a, I was reporting in the Middle East, and I didn't have a smartphone because they didn't have 3G yet, and it was blissful. I had like a Nokia brick. God, I miss those days. What was it like reporting in the Middle East? Um, it was really, it was really great. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> well, excellent. Hey, people who want to enjoy your articles, I know that you have a ton of coverage coming up over at Business Insider. Where should I send them, and where should they connect with you on social? Yeah, um, Twitter and LinkedIn is are, are the best places to uh, connect with me. My DMs are open. Please reach out directly. I'm happy to chat with anyone. I don't guarantee you fast response time because there's a lot of incoming. Um, but I will give out my email, which is ecosgrove at insider.com. And um, if you just Google Emma Cosgrove Business Insider, you can find my author page and, and read back through everything I've got going on. Emma, we really appreciate it. Don't be a stranger. And we'll go deeper into some of your stories next time we have you on. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. Take care. Hey, you know what? With fully furnished, state-of-the-art repair trucks, and a full array of roadside tools, you can expect the safest, fastest, and most painless response for your fleet from Love's Truck Care and okay, Speed Co. Learn more, tell them, dude. Hey, you got to go to loves.com. Okay, let's talk to, let's bring out the big bats now. It's Ashley Nicole oh, Cole. She's the founder of Battle Axe Sports, and she's here to join us today. And she's really interesting. She's almost got like, she's got a bat company, but it's like ensconced in this faith-based message. And you know, they have like their proverbs of the day or, or their scripture of the day yeah, and yeah, all yeah. that kind of thing. So let's see yeah. what's going on with Ashley. Ashley, thanks for joining us. Awesome. Hey, guys, thanks so much for having me. This is amazing. Um, I'm really grateful and, and blessed to be on your show. So I think you guys are always keeping it fun and exciting. Yeah, well, we, you know, when you reached out to me, I thought it was great. And you were coming from a, a couple different a couple different angles. So there's a few things we're going to hit on. But um, most interesting, let's start with you, the shipper. So you as a shipper retailer who's making the bats. What's Battle X Sports and how did you get into making baseball bats? Yeah, awesome question. I appreciate that. Um, so actually, I got into the this world May of this year. So it didn't start until actually fall of last year. You know, COVID hit everybody a lot of different ways. Um, for me, it was an eye-opener, an opportunity to take hold of something new, um, something that's going to grow me, help me, and also help others at the same time. Um, my husband is a, a baseball guru. That uh, is definitely his world. And us combined, um, we found a way and an avenue to make the right partnerships and to become a manufacturer of Yep, of uh, professional and premium quality wood bats. Um, so we really stand behind what we are serving our community. Um, and yes, as you you share in this photo, I've also have been wearing many hats um, as well as the entrepreneurial hat. Um, I try to be like what I would want others to, to be for me. You know, I reach up towards mentors. And so, um, I find value in, uh, trying to just share what I learn with others as well. So I'm kind of growing into a lot of different new directions. Um, but also how does this all, you know, relate back to trucking as well is because i worked in corporate world and actually still do uh, work for the Volvo group. Um, so it, that's how I had initially re- reached out to you some time ago, if you remember that time. 
Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you got the bats going on, and you mentioned, and you, yeah, I love on your LinkedIn, it says the assistant. So you are the assistant at, at Volvo, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about uh, your initiative there to empower uh, employees to be content creators. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So a, a lot of missed opportunities, I think, um, in corporate world, and I think in general, um, is the ability to communicate in a very exciting way that's going to get employees inspired um, and energized, feel connected to why they are even there in the first place. So when I actually entered into the assistant role to the VP of powertrain engineering uh, there in Hagerstown, Maryland, um, I identified this gap in one of our strategy meetings and said, hey, can we start to create a type of lunch and learn where we're inviting our uh, Volvo Group fleet customers to share with us about their business applications, find a way to connect um, our engineers with who they're actually impacting. And it's made a major difference. We started that initiative um, and actually having those since May 5th this year. And it's created a lot of value within our organization there at the Volvo Group uh, because it's inspired as well those employees to have a connection with the customers. Um, And it's also creating a new way for how we're communicating within the organization. Um, And that kind of ties into maybe the content creation portion of of uh, that side of, of the world there um, and being able to share and communicate in, re- in new ways, really, and just connecting value and what they're doing to who they're actually impacting, which is the, the fleet customers. Now, Ashley, something I'm really That's curious awesome. about, and I just want to, I want to reverse the, the tape right here is to jump back to these bats. Cause uh, how, like, how is a bat yes. made and how do you source, like, how do you source the wood for them and what, what goes into the design? Absolutely. So, uh, all of our the raw materials um, oops, come from um, either mostly U.S. or also Canada, um, but all within North America. And our bats are 100% uh, made and lathed in the USA. Um, and so those actually, we have designs where we can lay them in uh, CNC machines. And so there are very specific toolings in place to make sure that they come out in the same exact design and the same quality um, inspection processes in place to make sure that they are coming out damn near the same. So, um, and did that, did I, did I answer all your question in there? I think, I think you did. I got a follow. I got a quick follow up though. I mean, obviously yeah. the premium wood bats and the price there is not bad. I don't know if you've bought and bats bought bats for your kids yet. I got one of the lookouts uh, game, but it was like you yeah, know, it was like uh, this big. One seventy eight, mm-hmm. uh, one ninety seven is not that expensive for a very good bat. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great price point. What about the supply chain issues? Have you run into those? And a wood was like through the roof expensive there for a little while. It's and and other things go into yeah. making these bats. Any issues there? Yeah, so we have noticed um, a definitely a jump and a spike in this. Um, it's actually impacted us. I'll be, you know, candidates impacted us, uh, you know, anywhere between 10 to 20 per, per bat, um, just based off of supply chain. Um, and because of the impact of the, the wood and billets being transported and how fast they're getting transported, um, to then get you know produced, so there has been a hit there. That that started about actually not till about like two months ago. So is where it really started to impact. Yep. A lot of brands they they go out of their way to be you know as secular as possible. They don't want to d- sure. divide people on religious grounds. But you've made a very uh, obvious decision to to intertwine faith with with bats. What led you to to do that? Absolutely. So um, I'm. Uh, I'm a Christian. Um, everything I'm inspired by is really by God's word. And so we use that as human beings, as a foundation of morality on what we're here to do and to deliver. And it's so important to me. I notice in you know today's world, you know, where 
we're getting so much uh, more distant from one another. Um, there's all these different factions and names for everything or everyone. Um, and also God has been pulled out of a lot of different work cultures, um, schools, uh, sports. And that was a, a major gap because I, I, I see in my eyes, you know, we can get stirred up our faith and get inspired by that word um, by which we should be, in, in my opinion, you know, living by um, to do good with it. I think we are all given, you know, many God given talents and gifts um, to do good while we are, we are here on this earth. And so we should always be seeking to chase that full potential within ourselves. And so a part of what battle act sports reps represents is that, you know, that inspiration, that confidence it's delivered, um, you know, in a godly way and inspired by the scripture, because I think that's, that's where you're going to ultimately get your strength when you feel like you don't have it yourself. Great. Well, Michael, she's new. Send her to the wheel. Oh, yeah, she has to go yeah. to the wheel. What, did you fall asleep over there? I, well, I was, yeah, I did. <laughs> no, I was not. All right, what do you got? What do you got? Okay, here it goes. Are you ready for this one? What, okay. What would Jesus? What would Jesus use? A wood or aluminum bat? Ooh. Wood. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's a carpenter, right? I, I I told you it was a stupid question. Well, I'm on that too. We've actually been proving um, out there's 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 BB Core products. If you are or aren't familiar with those, um, this is the new type of you know composite bats out there that. The standards on which those are having to be produced, the the different um, safety restrictions, they are they're they're dead. They're the they're hot spots, they're sweet spots on the barrel. They're not as good as our wood bats. We've been comparing them. Um, my my go. next uh, mission here to actually get in touch with. There's a a group of baseballers called uh, the Baseball uh, Bros. And we're trying to get our get them to compare a lot more BB core bats to our wood bats because the pop you get on them is just a lot sweeter. The sweet spots actually work. Well, nice. well hey, thank there you very you much for joining us today. Ashley, go check out Battle Axe Sports and, uh, and check her out on LinkedIn as well. Join up. Thank you. Thanks once again. Enjoy the rest of the week. So we have a video to jump Thanks, to Ashley. real quick here. So we got a we got a correspondent out on the road. He's going to stop by the studio in a second, but let's see what you know what's kind of trouble he's getting into on the road. Former driver, we're talking about the the, the power of getting your CDL and the opportunities ahead. But we always like to talk safety. Can you can you share one of your experiences, maybe as a younger driver? Okay. And uh, this is going to help maybe save a life. So tell I us that story. I actually hold the speed record in the state of Arkansas for a semi. I was doing 105 and a 55. Don't do it. And, and what kind yeah. of commodity were you hauling? Gasoline. All right, buddy. Be safe. Thanks, guys. Oh, Lord, man. Jesus, take the wheel, John Piper. Aye, aye, aye. Did you... <laughs> What's happening, man? What's going on, John? Well, who's that character, anyway? You know, he was a, a taxi driver. The, the, how this all got started, Dooner and the Dude, thanks for having me uh, on set here. Right on. Is uh, I started a podcast about a year and a half ago called The Road Home. It's powered by the Truckers Service Association. Uh, we're trying to get in the year about 12,000 independent contractors out there. And I was trying to put together a trip to simulate life of a driver. So I started from Dallas, Texas, ended up in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm in, I'm simulating a, a truck. I've got some technology on board. I've got a Netrodyne camera. And there were some images you said I shouldn't show on TV. Uh, <laughs> but it, it reinforces safety. I've got a, a Geotab device that's let me know I'm getting about 12 miles to the gallon. And I am staying within the speed limit. And then it's all powered by an Elios uh, Class 8 uh, specific navigation to keep me on route and, and really uh, supply real-time traffic. But I ran down the house batteries on my RV. It's about a 24-footer, simulates a box truck. And I had to call a taxi to take me to Walmart to try to get a part to uh, power up the house batteries. And that was my taxi driver. And we got to talk, and he has a CDL. Thinking about getting back in driving, you know, there's upwards of ten, twenty thousand dollars sign-on bonuses out there, but yeah. uh, some of it we had to clip out. But uh, his wife likes him staying at home, and I think he enjoys uh, driving there in Hot Springs, Arkansas. 
Well, he might not get that twenty grand after revealing the hundred and five miles an hour to fifteen five. I, I'm not sure. Maybe he qualifies for the seventeen five. But uh, glad to have you in town. Are you enjoying Chattanooga so far? You know, I, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, not far from here, and I started my trucking career in Portland, Tennessee, just north of Nashville, right before you ease into uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky, and I've never been to Chattanooga. I got here uh, yesterday. Uh, it's kind of like simulating a layover. I got here uh, actually Saturday night about 10 o'clock, so in essence had a little layover, staying uh, just right outside of town, and then I powered up the uh, the. RV and headed into the studio, but man, what a facility. You guys took me for a little behind-the-scenes tour earlier, and all the good stuff happening here at Freight Waves, uh, pretty special. Well, you're doing some good stuff with the Arkansas Trucking Association, so why did you decide to go on the, the road for them and capture some footage and, and do these types of interviews? Yeah, it was a combination of really, and I think a lot of the, the footage will, will be out on uh, Freight Waves now, uh, you know, in the next few weeks or so. But uh, hey, hold on. So, hey, order in the court. Why aren't we getting any of this footage, Johnny? You got to get some of this footage to what yeah, the truck. Yeah, yeah. What the up? truck, man? What All the right. truck? Did you see uh, the look on his face? I know. It's kind of awkward, too, because you also <laughs> host Freight Waves now. But, you know, hey, I gotta you never know what you're going to get with Dooner. But hey, <laughs> I was trying to put together, actually, I was going to get a, like a Class 6 Freightliner cab over. They call that a Super C. I, on my podcast, The Road Home, I do a lifestyle segment that tries to get in the ear of that driver and say, hey, you, you work hard, enjoy some time. We've talked about the. Uh, uh, traveling through Kentucky, having some nice, uh, you know, vacations. But uh, I thought, hey, I, I need to get a destination. So I got a smaller unit so I could handle it myself and, and not really have anybody else to, to manage the schedule. So I, I was planning on going to the Arkansas Trucking Association Conference anyway. Uh, Shannon Newton, the president there, and did a live podcast on the road that will air next month uh, on the road home. And then I, I got a chance to talk to a lot of drivers, uh, some Arkansas Trucking Association uh, road team captains uh, actually helped me jump the uh, the RV when I couldn't drive it because I'd left the R the uh, awning out. I was going to have some drivers come over. I had some bottled water and stuff, but it was about 100 degrees, and uh, I left the awning out. The house batteries went down, so I, I was having uh, in need of roadside assistance. <laughs> nice, nice. So what are you hoping to learn out on the road? You know, when I started my career, Vincent, uh, I was working nights and weekends, yeah. and really got connected with that professional driver. So one reason I'm out here doing this, and I'm, I'm really going to simulate uh, uh, truck driving on the way back, I am going to go through Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. I'm not going to dip down into New Orleans because what we heard earlier on the air. But I, I got a plan. Uh, one of my colleagues back at, at my corporate office, Add-on Systems, Jeff French is going to route me just like a dispatcher would. I'm going to make sure I stop and, and get fuel. I, I stopped at some Love's Travel Plazas on the way up here, and I talked to some drivers but on the way back, especially, I'm going to talk to drivers that are maybe headed to Louisiana for disaster relief, maybe hauling bottled water, food, medical supplies. And that's what really helps me really embrace our industry. It's a great industry. Uh, several people at the Arkansas Trucking Association said, uh, we don't always look to get into it, but once you get in, it's like quicksand. You just don't get out. Now, John, one thing I've learned from uh, interviewing hundreds of people doing these types of shows is... The answers are important, but so are the questions. So what kind of questions are you asking these drivers at the rest stops, and, and what are they telling you? Yeah, yeah. How did you get into the trucking industry? You know, what type of technology are you using? Uh, if you could improve things. Uh, and a lot of stuff I say, hey, this is off the record, because, you know, they're a little timid. They don't want uh, their corporate office mm -hmm. to hear some of the things they're saying. So um, I'm just really trying to put myself behind the wheel of their wheel, rather, and, and see what drives them. Man, I, I've had a great guy. I know you've got the video, but uh, probably air uh, later uh, at a Loves uh, in Prescott, Arkansas. Man, he was just full of energy. He has like four or five brothers uh, that are truckers. And just the passion, if, if he could relay that passion uh, for that next generation, that 20, 21, 22-year-old trucker, potential trucker, I don't think we'd have a driver shortage. That's a good point. That's a good point, getting those messages out there. So where are you off to after you leave Chattanooga? What's destination you know, I'm, next? I'm, I'm waiting on dispatch. Oh, you're but, waiting on dispatch still. But I'm right. gonna, this afternoon, I'm going to work from here for a little bit, and uh, I'm going to head uh, towards uh, Tuscaloosa. Uh, I do some stuff in sports, uh, football. I, I was real interesting to hear about the, uh, I think Ashley with the bat. I do a baseball podcast, too, called Behind the Dish, and I might have to connect with her and, and get some bats. Yeah, you're right. You the bats are expensive. I've got a, a son that plays college baseball, yeah. and, and – uh, 
he he has a tendency to ask me for some Venmo money to buy some more bats. And yeah, one seventy nine is not a bad pre price, is it? <laughs> the bad thing about be, Venmo money that would is be a nice wood bat, money. actually. Yeah, it, was that what it was? A wood bat? Yeah, one seventy nine. Yeah, so bat. Battle Axe Sports are her bats over there. Do, well, what is your favorite bat uh, then? Like a Louisville Slugger? Well, uh, Rawlings, Louisville Slugger, D-Bat, uh, Marucci, a uh, uh, lot of great brands out there. Um, you know, and, and the wood bats, you know, there's really no guarantee. You know, those break pretty easy. Uh, college and high school players still get to use composite bats and, and, and aluminum. But, uh, man, those bats do get pricey. But I'm going to head Tuscaloosa, may stop at the University of Alabama, and then head on down through uh, Mississippi, uh, the, probably the northern part of Louisiana before I get back to Dallas, Texas. Yeah, I mean, cool. especially if you're putting cork in there like Sammy Sosa, you know, getting the, the broken. broken <laughs> yeah, bats. cork bats do. Stuff. They do break easy. <laughs> well, hey, let's, uh, let's, hey, come over. You spin the wheel yourself. You can stay. Hey. Come on, walk over here, then go back to your seat. Spin the wheel. He'll read the question to you, but spin the wheel. I'll spin in your it head. Now. Just spin that wheel. Spin the wheel. Right. Go sit Ready? down. Forward. There you go. Now go sit down. Sit down. <laughs> go sit down. Go sit down. Go read the question. Are you testing his ability to follow directions? <laughs> I just want to show the people that he's really here in studio. Hey, people are, <laughs> want to people are curious if your beard is real, and I think it is. Actually. Oh, it's real. It is, but I want to sell them in the Freightways <laughs> gift shop. You can just you can get your own like Lee Press on beards. Maybe I got to talk to Silva Fox about that. <laughs> all right, so here it is. What's the most annoying radio commercial of all time? Well, I would classify it as all the ones that spend about. Eight seconds on the ad and, and 22 seconds on all the side effects would be a, a drug commercial. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I hate saying it because it's for a good cause, but they used to play this one all the time up in, in New England. It was 1877-CARS uh, for kids, K-A-R-S, car for kids. Sorry, now it's stuck in your head. <laughs> yeah, no. I uh, Johnny, how do people follow? How do people follow? What, what is, what's yours? You gotta hit you. I don't. I, I mean, because you put that in my head, so that's it. That's it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm you disagree with it. Well, awesome. John, how do people uh, learn more about you and follow your journey? Yeah, I'm real active on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, at Add On Systems, you can reach me at, at jpiper at aos.biz. I'm, I'm very open to connecting with y'all. I know one of your sponsors today, uh, Locomation, mm -hmm. uh, the power of getting out and, uh, and networking, coming to Yarrow's conference in November, I ran into Glenn Spankenberg. He and I started our careers uh, together at, at Qualcomm Omnitracks, and I ran into Glenn at the Arkansas Trucking Association, one of the executives at Locomation. So there are lots of ways you can reach me. Uh, reach out if you want to be on the Road Home podcast, and I would love to hear from you. Great. Thank you very Excellent much. Stuff. Thank you, man. Thank you very much, John. Thanks for joining us in the studio. Yes, our next conference that he's mentioned coming up September 1st. It's Wednesday, Intermodal Summit virtually. We, we got a newsflash here. Freight Burgers Company is looking for help from the truck community in locating a driver who's been missing for days. According to a, bill, a bulletin shared on August 26th by the Missing Truck Driver Alert Network, 62-year-old Alabama-based truck driver Kelly W. Reynolds has been missing since August 23rd. He was last contacted in Lordsburg, New Mexico, according to the alert, and was en route to Los Angeles, California. If you know him, please let the police know. He was driving a 53-foot 2017 Freightliner with Alabama plates. Find me on Twitter, at Timothy Dooner. Find him at Michael Vincent the Dude. We'll be back Wednesday with that virtual event. Tell him how to be. Hey, peace and love, everyone. Spread it everywhere. <laughs>